Hello, everybody. Benjamin Nathaniel Reddick II here, AKA the Violence Conductor. And I have a very special guest today. Nina, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the lovely people at home. I'm Nina Mary. I'm the founder of Amiri Law. Uh, we are an entertainment and intellectual property law firm. Uh, I represent independent filmmakers, uh, producers, writers, directors, um, helping them uh, with production legal on their films, um, drafting contracts in literally every stage uh, from the development, production to the distribution of their films. Um, and I also advise them on intellectual property matters relating to licensing their intellectual property. Copy that. And how did you uh, get started with that? Oh, boy. So, um, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, my father was actually um, in the film business. He was um, a camera guy, an editor. He was an actor. Um, and so it was kind of in my blood and, you know, growing up in, in Hollywood, Los Angeles, you're, you're pretty much surrounded by creative people 24 hours a day. I myself have never had, uh, um, the desire to be in front of a camera. Um, but I, I really, um, I enjoyed artists and creative people and I wanted to be part of this business. So, um, I started to kind of, you know, look into, well, what can I do with my skill set? Um, and my talent is more in um, writing and negotiating and, and you know, business um, skills rather than creative skills. Um, so I discovered that there's something called entertainment law. And um, while I was a student at UCLA, I started looking at law schools that had uh, um, entertainment law programs. And I decided to go to Pepperdine Law, uh, which is in Malibu. While I was there, um, I was the president of the Sports Entertainment Law Society. And through that position, I got to meet a lot of uh, entertainment lawyers. And it kind of solidified for me that I did want to pursue entertainment law. Wow. Okay. So a couple things there. So your dad was a cameraman, editor, and actor. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That sounds like that sounds like us here in Texas. Um, yeah. We've been told that you can only be one thing, so don't don't mix them up. But you, for most Texas filmmakers that I know, you have to do a number of different things to get by. So that I didn't expect to hear that coming from you guys who are so fancy on the West Coast. Just gonna well, be honest. to be honest, I don't think it's it's that different in LA or New York. I have mm. many clients. I mean, probably the majority of them are what I call hyphenates. So maybe they write and direct, maybe they act and produce, um, they edit yeah. and, and, and write, you know, I don't, I, you know, I think that there may be a point in people's careers where they're like, you know what, I want to focus on one thing and one thing only, but a lot of people start out, um, you know, with various, uh, you know, um, jobs yeah. and, and then yeah, I think those skill sets are, are fantastic because, you know how a production works. And I think that's, there's a lot of value to that. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree. We're actually weirdly enough. And I, I did not proper, I did not prepper for this folks. This is totally accidental. 
One of our speakers this uh, year, Austin Action Fest, will be Sheila V.A. Shalava. And it's funny because the reason we had her speaking is she's a multi-hyphenate. She is a actress slash producer slash musician. She's like a master flautist. She does theme songs. She's doing anime. It's, it's all over the place. But she's having great success. And the, one of the things we wanted to talk to her was what was it like being a multi-hyphenate? So, no, that's really, really awesome. I was just teasing you a little bit. Because um, <laughs> I was told that when I lived in Hollywood, they were like, you can't, you can't do all the things that you say you're doing. It makes it too hard for people to know what box to put you in. But I was like, well, I don't really want to like, I'm like a borderline ADHD kid. I don't want to be in a box. I get bored if I'm doing that. So well, I like I being able to do everything. Well, look at, you know, some of the best athletes. Some of the best athletes have played football and baseball or, you know, uh, I, I think, I mean, that combo is, you know, there's several people that have had that combo. But um, Colin Kaepernick, yeah. for example, he was great. He was an amazing baseball player and he was good at football. So I don't really believe that. Bo knows. As they said, yeah, Bo knows. Exactly. Yeah, Bo did. I mean, Bo did. One of the, you know, <laughs> just do it, right? That's the, that's, that's the theme. Did everything. You read everything. Okay, so you go to Pepperdine. You do the whole the whole film law thing. What was something that was surprising for you to learn while you were going to school about law and entertainment? Um, I you know you know law is very theoretical. Um, you're reading mm -hmm. cases um, that have been litigated about various issues. Um, I really didn't understand what a transactional entertainment lawyer does until I worked at um, a distribution company called Region Entertainment. And mm. one of the tasks that I had was to assist with the chain of title. Um, and so what that means is that the, the company wanted to make sure that the entity that was licensing the final film had the underlying rights. So for example, mm. the screenplay, you know, if it was based on a book, okay, did they have the right to use that book? And, and then was a screenplay assigned to the LLC and were all of the writers that, that may have worked on it, did they all have, for example, agreements where they assigned their rights? So I didn't mm. really understand all the due diligence that goes on with creating um, a, a project. Um, so that, that was kind of like an eye opener for me. Yes. And you know, I've, some of us are getting, I've been in a, that situation once or twice. Um, even where I, I wrote something and then I wasn't the one producing it, somebody else was producing it and yeah. having all those things. That's not my strong point, which is why you're on here to tell us how we're doing a terrible job and how to not get sued into oblivion. So we really appreciate you being here. We need people like you because because my mind does not automatically go there, you know, when I'm getting spun up about an idea and trying to be creative. So, but I have been in that scenario where I secured book rights, you know, book rights okay. and movie rights for uh, an actual novel that was released and had yeah. to start going through these things or anything, these contracts and laws. So, no, that's, that's actually really, really interesting to know. Um, I'm sure I big, still don't. Part of the work that I do is, mm you know, the development of a project and, and making sure that we've, we're, we're starting to build that chain of title and there's no holes in it. Because here's the mm. issue. You only get one crack at this, right? And if you're going and you're shopping a project around town and you don't have the rights to it, it people are going to slam the door in your face, right? 
No one wants mm-hmm. their time to be wasted. So I think that's the the perspective that a lot of um, I think creative people miss is that when you don't have those little things buttoned up, and then you get that opportunity, which, which sometimes they, they happen fast. You want to make sure that you have all of your paperwork, your ducks are in a row, um, and that people know that you're serious, that you take this seriously, and you treat it as mm-hmm. a business. That's what it is. It's a business. The Ooh. film business. It's the entertainment Ooh. business. That's really good. That's uh, what's uh, Alex Ferrari. He says, "It's show business twice as many letters in the word business as in show." And I was like, "Ooh, that's really good." One hundred percent. And like you that. just said, I think the great sage M. Mathers, um, maybe was it maybe circa nineteen ninety seven. He said, and if I'm quoting this correctly, forgive me. He says, um, "Lose yourself in the moment. Own it." Don't ever let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Opportunity comes once in a lifetime. If I'm, I might be, I'm not sure if I'm, that was an exact translation, but I think I got it, was, it kind of close. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I know that. I was like, I've heard that before. I know that one. <laughs> you remember when I told you this is not going to be that serious? This is, this I is love what that. I meant. <laughs> Listen, no, what we're having fun and hopefully we're all gonna you know learn something that's all you can yeah. do and i think one of the key things is that a lot of us a lot of people my film friends were we're into the vibes right want to have a good time on set and it's like well if you don't get this stuff squared away ahead of time if you don't get the paperwork in order you know even it's just like the set itself you have to have like who's in, the hierarchy established in your set if you don't get those things together if there's ever a problem, oh, those vibes are gone. The money's messed up, your chain of title is messed up, you don't have the right yeah. insurances if you can afford that. Uh, you're gonna have a major problem and nobody's gonna wanna come back and shoot with you again. And especially for us who are more on the independent side, the relationship is especially everything because you can't finesse it with money. You can't, I can't coerce this guy to come back because the paycheck is so big. He's gotta wanna shoot with me. She's gotta like the vibe on set. And if they're not liking the vibe on set or the, the product that would turn out, they're not going to come back to you. And that's really, really rough for those of us who don't have infinitely deep, you know, Avengers pockets. I so. mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I always tell people this is a relationship business. And so if you want to be in this industry, it, it does come down to who you know. And mm-hmm. the second thing it comes down to is your, your reputation and how you treat people. And, you know, it's a small, it's a small business, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I talk to people and if they've been in this business, you know, as long as I have after an hour, we can probably come up with three or four people that we have in common. (laughs) So, you know, you can't, I mean, you, there's nothing that can replace having a good reputation that always comes first. Yeah. Can't escape yourself. No, you can't. No, that that's people, awesome. And people talk. That's the other thing. People talk, and you know, yeah. They, I've had and I've had one or two interesting uh, endeavors, right? Adventures on set where I was like, you know what? I don't think I don't think we're gonna do that again. Not with that guy. And right. um, in general, that's not something that you go out and just gossip about. But there are friends of mine that were gonna work with someone, and I was like, hey, man. I'm gonna be real with you, here's what happened. 
make your own yeah. decisions. Maybe the paycheck's right. I'm just letting you know to be on the lookout for these scenarios because this is how it went for me. Maybe different for you. This is how it went for me. So I, I think that's a reasonable thing. And just like if you had a, a if I was going to get a distribution deal, I want to know if you had a bad interaction with that distributor. Did they not market your things at all? Did they, you know, buy it and shelve it? And that's one of the areas where I always, always coach people. Ask for referrals. Ask, you know, mm. ask the distributor, like, hey, you know, can you give me three names of people you've, you know, you've worked with within a, with a similar genre of film in the last year? And, mm. you know, if they're reluctant, that that's often, you know, to me, a, a sign that maybe they don't really do what they what they claim that they're going to do. OK, so so what are some things I don't want you to give away all the goods, right? They got to come to the Austin Action Fest to get those <laughs> July 14, 15, 16. Um, so what are some things that you've seen us filmmakers? And this is our show is typically targeted more towards, you know, sub three million Ind more independently styled films. Yeah. What are and some things are you're seeing? Clients. Those are my okay. clients. Perfect. That's who I Perfect. So what are some things you're seeing us out here that are, that we're doing incorrectly that we could be doing to protect ourselves better? Okay. Well, I think the number one thing is, um, in the early stages of a project, when you're developing, I think that there's a lot of folks that do handshake deals, hmm. email deals, and I have seen quite a few where things just went sideways really fast. And it's because <laughs> there there wasn't a clear um, outlining of, okay, these are the things that I'm responsible for. If I bring hmm. the financing, if I bring talent, then I'm attached as a producer. There's always got to be a condition precedent to coming on to a project. Um, and that's precedent. why. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, a trigger, you know, you don't just wake up and say, okay, give me a producer deal. I'm, I'm a producer. Now I woke up this morning and I combed my hair and now I'm a producer. No, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta bring something to the table. So is it financing? Is it distribution? Mm -hmm. Is it talent? There, there has to be that, that trigger point. Um, which is why I like to use, you know, collaboration or attachment agreements that have a limited term and mm. that basically outline, you know, what is going to be the thing that gets you to the next step. The easiest way for me to describe it is you want to date people first and not jump to being married to them. <laughs> okay. Jump to having the baby. I've heard. I've heard having a film as being a, having a, a child. Even, yeah, like I mean that, and that does happen. You know, it is like having a child. I have two, and it's a labor of of it's. It takes years. It's expensive. Um, there's a lot of tantrums in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, sleepless nights, um, dirty diapers, the whole thing. Yes. Well, I haven't experienced any dirty diapers on set, but to, I mean, I believe you. I'm going to believe that that's a thing. And um, but I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying there. Um, OK, cool. So that makes that makes a ton of sense. What is something else? Is there anything else that we're doing that you think just briefly off to, that you actually I'm sorry. 
what's the worst that you've ever seen a deal go immediately off the rails? Like, what's the most? Give me a horror story. I think the the, the worst ones are where, unfortunately, there's a someone in a position of power on a film that mm -hmm. is abusing that power and harassing. Um, you know, members of the crew using, mm -hmm. you know, their, their power to kind of intimidate them. It could be, you know, somebody who's just a bully. It could be somebody that, you know, is sexually harassing people. Um, but we've had that unfortunately happen, you know, several times and, you know, we're in the middle of production. It's not like you could just, you know, yeah. oh, well, let's just replace the director. You've got these people for for <laughs> two or three weeks. And so, uh, you know, you've got to come in and you've got to have really tough conversations. And then you kind of have to clean up the mess after the fact. And obviously I can't okay. tell you which projects, the, you know, those happened in, but it, it is something that, that happens and it's really, it's really unfortunate. I mean, the, the the most interesting ones I've seen is I had someone hold. I've had two different directors hold footage hostage. Um, oh yeah, that's another one. One yeah. one was there. There was like a couple that were working director actress or something like that. It wasn't my project because we probably would have fought. But that's a whole other story. Um, but <laughs> but uh, there's a guy and him and the actress broke up or something after shooting or during the shoot. And so he just held the footage so that the, the, the producer just didn't get her footage back. And I was like, wow, one, that's just crazy petty to do that. I'm like, man, there's a bunch of people involved. Even if you don't like one of them, what about everybody else? You know what I mean? But right. when the emotions are high and your relationships are involved or harassment is involved, people do really weird things. So I do, you're correct. I do see that there's a lot of things that we could do on the front end to maybe alleviate that. And even getting rid of the director, sometimes your actors are attached because of a particular director that's, or that's someone exactly is involved. Right. Yeah, this guy was, you know, somebody that he was able to to bring in um, some of the actors, and mm. they were loyal. They were loyal to him, and because of that, you know, he abused his power. Got it. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate, but people, I hope you're paying attention that things always, you know, when you date someone. Vet people. Yeah. Really up front, they always look great the first right. 60 to 90 days. But when you get into the shoot, that's when you start to really see people's true color. It's one of the reasons I really enjoy like 48 hour film festivals. I don't do them all the time. But my favorite time, like 24 hour and 40 hour film festivals, is that that first like the first night you get your prop or whatever, like seven or eight o'clock at night and people try to stay up and work straight through and just get it done real fast. When you get to like one or two o'clock in the morning on that first night, I'm chilling, right? I have my, I have my energy drink, I'm sipping it, I'm just waiting. Cause I wanna realistically, people don't know this, like I'm always watching how you respond to stress. Right. I don't wanna follow someone that when the stress hits, you crumble. Right. I don't, I don't want to invest my time because as a, as, if I'm not the producer, my time is an investment if you're not paying me my full rate. I don't want to invest my time if I know you're just going to fall apart. And so I love sitting back and just watching to see how you react to that stress and that pressure. But unfortunately, it's kind of hard to be able to tell that before we shoot. 
which is why asking for referrals, like you said, is very, very important. But, Plus, but I people think we are in a, in a in an industry now where we are now. I think a lot of this stuff happened prior to Me Too, prior to some of the social mm. movements that that we've had. Where now people are like more free to talk about things. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, you know, I hope at least that they're um, they're making better decisions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, about who they bring into to a project. Um, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> but also, yeah. I think one of the things that's happening, and you can maybe get into this if I'm right or if I'm wrong, um, people are more oriented towards doing their own projects now because, like, I have a GH5S up here. Um, I'm running it through my own Mix 8, and I got a Audio-Technica 2050, right? I got a lavalier mic as a backup. So I have a bunch of gear and I'm just a regular old, you know, independent filmmaker. I can go out and shoot. I've shot political stuff with this. I've shot live action stuff with this. We've done live streaming. We've done all these different things with this gear because it's so powerful now. And back right. in the day, you could gatekeep much more stringently because an average person couldn't have done that back in the day. They wouldn't. You you wouldn't have access to this much gear. So not not as inexpensively. And then the film would have cost so much. So I think that now where people might have had that fear of going off on their own or turning down that role or turning down this deal because you're not gonna get your chance, I'm hoping that they're starting to see that, like, man, you can make your own chance. You don't have to wait. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of um, a lot of my clients, you know, have, have, you know, even started out, you know, as actors and, you know, worked and worked and worked and, and had some success, but they never really got to play the roles that they wanted to. And so <laughs> they decided, okay, fine, I'm going to produce my own film and I'm really going to highlight my talent and show people what mm. I'm capable of. I think that that's the best part of, of being in this business is we can work mm. outside of those structures um, and we, we can make great content and people can make a living and, and, make work that they're really actually passionate about and that spot on spot on you know so obviously we're awesome action fest and market so we focus primarily on action oriented is more easily uh internationally distributed projects because action translates that's kind of where our what we highlight action horror sci-fi drop all the genre the genre stuff um but we got into this because because we weren't seeing enough action here. And they weren't making action in the style that I liked. Um, I liked fantasy movies and I liked anime. And I was like, well, I'm not seeing that being produced in Texas. So exactly what you said is exactly why we got started. It was for that particular reason. So you're 100% spot on, 100%. Well, and I think that it's just gonna continue to grow, to be honest, because um, now with social media, there's also, you know, this amazing way of, of promoting work um, and building communities around projects. And we didn't really have that, you know, let's say 20 years ago. Um, it's really in the last, I think, five, five years that um, independent filmmakers have really been able to create communities um, and market their films um, in a more organic way. Absolutely. So is there anything that you've seen maybe from the marketing perspective that has changed where maybe we're not, we're not, we're not handling those situations correctly? 
Um, I mean, I think that there's um, a lot less uh, theatrical distribution, um, mm. you know, more um, streaming deals um, than ever before. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers that are really, you know, they really struggle with that because they want that experience of being in the theater. Um, and for, you know, for many, you know, film festivals become kind of a, a replacement for that traditional theatrical um, distribution model. Um, so I just think that sometimes you have to really look at the hard numbers and sometimes it just does not make sense mm. uh, financially um, to do a full-on theatrical distribution. I've heard people talk about um, exactly what you're discussing and the res their, their answer was, you know what? We might do a premiere in our hometown. We'll rent out a theater and we'll have a, yeah. a big to-do. It's called four walling. Four walling is a great, great thing if you want to just have that one-off moment. But a, a lot mm. of times, um, you know, a streaming, a, a straight-to-streaming deal is going to be better financially. Yeah, and I've seen people use four walling as, as like a way to recoup and raise funds. Actually, they're selling merch. They're doing. They're selling hot dogs. <laughs> whatever and they're having a good old time so that's something to really consider if you can let go that and it i feel bad because like i've done it like i remember the first time we did a project and it was up on the screen and i was like i had this moment right but i didn't need a full distribution i didn't need a full theatrical run it was just cool to see it up on the screen so you can rent your own screen now ever since uh you know the 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 pandemic Theaters have made it really easy to rent your own screens. Yeah. And they have these deals for people when, who, I think it started when they want to start having those private uh, screening parties for people since they, you know, limited number of people in the theater. You could rent it and have 20 of your friends come up, talk to a theater, do that, and then take whatever deal makes the most sense financially for you and your investors. That's what I completely agree. And, that, and that's the bottom line. You have to protect your investors. If you want to stay in this business, you have to put them first. You have a, a an, an obligation to put mm -hmm. them first and to make sure that you protect their money. Absolutely, absolutely. So I did have a question about about that. I've had some couple people bring up some ideas, like with, I believe the terminology is cross collateralization, but essentially they're talking about um, offering a slate of films to an investor or group of investors versus just one so they can recoup if one of those hits. Have you heard about any independent filmmakers doing something like that and how they had yeah, success? I mean, well, people create film slates all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think the ones that are more successful um, tend to be like horror genre. Um, oh, okay. those, films, they, those films do better internationally. Um, but yeah, I mean, a film slate, it's just like any kind of investment. You, you diversify, you lower your risk. Hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, every film is going to be analyzed financially. So, um, you know, you don't want to have, you may not have, you know, six or seven home runs, but you at least need, <laughs> you at least need, you know, all of them to get on, get on the, on the yeah, plate, you, right? You need some base hits. You don't want to do that. <laughs> That's my, my best analogy. Maybe, maybe not all home runs, but let's let's get them all to the plate. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense. 
okay. And I mean, like, and I've had a couple of people who brought that up, and I was like, you know what? That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable thing. And a matter of fact, one of the guys who brought it up to me is a horror filmmaker. Yeah, so. I think there is, you know, I always tell people, you know, think about um, what translates across the world. And it's two things. It's violence and fear. You know, those are the two <laughs> things that, that translate. So, um, you know, you want to make an independent <laughs> film, those are the two that, that, are, that are probably going to be uh, more viable commercially. Mm. And that was actually, again, one of the main things. And I want to take a sh- some chance to uh, shameless plug here. The Austin Action Fest was started because I realized when we started doing our festival runs that a lot of these festivals were not incredibly action friendly. They were more, you know, topical or, you know, some sort of social conscious project. They loved those. They didn't like the action that people were doing all that much. And I was like, well, but these are the ones that could that could sell. Why would we not want to promote some of those guys, too? And it's I mean, people putting their bodies on the line when they're doing these stunts and doing this fighting. And it just, the artistry of that did not translate over to other individuals. And I was like, okay, cool. So that, that's why we started Austin Action Fest. But we are, you know, every one of these horror movies has action, there's chasing, there's gore, there's all this stuff, which is special effects artistry as well. All of those things are welcome at the Austin Action Fest. Please go ahead and submit. We love you guys as well. All right? Um, awesome. I might need like a, NC-17 PG-13 copy of your movie, because we have, you know, younger adults in there, but, uh, you know, we can make it work. Um, <laughs> totally off topic of that, totally unrelated, I met a guy named Kevin Lawson on one of my recent uh, shoots I did. Um, Kevin blew up on TikTok, and I'm not advocating for the use of TikTok. I know it's very controversial. What I'm saying is he had a massive following on social media, I think in the form of TikTok, and that turned into a film career where he's now two feet in. Have you seen a lot of people transitioning using their social clout to get in there I mean, in front of the camera? You know, here, here's what I've seen. I've seen a lot of films uh, that have maybe supporting roles that Mm. have been offered to social media influencers. And it's because of those massive followings. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of influencers that, that, you know, want to cross over into acting, you know, maybe they, that was kind of their original goal. Um, Mm. And they have used social media as a way to get, get attention Um, so I don't think that it works all the time, but when it does, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. Remember that people keep your Facebook, your Instagram could be gold mines in there. Got to keep that. That's marketing and branding yourself as they say. Um, awesome. So as we covered a couple different things here, I'm trying to think, is there anything we didn't cover? that you think will be important for some independent filmmakers, especially in Texas, to know? Well, I think one thing that you should know is they're, there's, um, they're getting closer to having a tax incentive in Texas uh, for productions. Mm. And I think that Texas is going to be one of those um, 
states where there's going to be a lot more production happening if it if it goes through and it's looking pretty good mm -hmm. um so i would say you know just you know a lot of people are focusing so much on oh you need to be in la new york i don't necessarily think that's the case anymore i think that there's a lot of opportunity um for texas filmmakers and creators um and you know i myself i have a lot of clients in texas i'm always um you know, I'm always excited to meet more Texas filmmakers, and I am planning on opening an office there in the next year. Okay, well, we'll definitely be calling you about that, and I'm glad to hear that. Um, as far as the tax incentives are concerned, I want to I want to know what the limits are. I think before it was, I think the minimum was like 250. I, I would like to see tax incentive. What the parameters are, where it's still, yeah. you know, uh, being discussed, and and but. Um, it sounds like it's going to be pretty, um, pretty extensive, Robust. um, okay. and very competitive with some of the surrounding states, like for example, New Mexico and Georgia. Okay. <clears throat> I definitely want to find out about that. I just, I hope that they keep, I hope they lower it. You know, we have a lot of people doing $80,000, $100,000 productions here. I it would be really lovely if everyone who says they appreciate small businesses and the artists would help the small biz businesses and artists, these small film entrepreneurs, as they are called, creative entrepreneurs, to get a little bit of money in their pocket. I mean, I know 80,000 may not seem like a lot, but that'll feed a lot of people. That'll put a lot, that's, a, that's work for quite a few people for a few days. So I agree. We will, we will see how that goes. If you know anyone who's involved in that, you know, and people you know, down in the comments. These small films, they end up being great stepping stones, you know, so you can never, I mean, you can't write it off like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a 250. I mean, some of the best films at Sundance are in that budget range. Correct. Correct. And if I'm like, if we're going to, if we want to incentivize our smaller filmmakers to make projects where they're from, like Texas, for instance, Cut them in on some of those incentives so they can raise those funds a little bit easier. That's all I'm saying. They pay taxes too, so they should be able to get in there somewhere. Um, is there anything else you'd like to let our people know? Let, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on social media. Amiri Law PC is my Instagram page. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, Nina and Amiri. Um, I have a whole video series on YouTube that talks a lot about uh, various, um, you know, entertainment law clauses, things to watch out for, for producers, writers, directors. Um, so if, if you're interested in entertainment law, there's a lot of free education um, on my YouTube channel. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some links in the show description. Um, we'll probably have this up in, a, in um, probably, what day is it? Uh, probably like Friday or Saturday this will be up, and we'll have that out for people to see. Um, thank you so much, Nina, for coming on, and we look forward to having you at the Austin Action Fest. Our screening date, we're looking at July 14th, 15th, and 16th. Um, we're going to figure out what day we're doing Nina's part, but thank you so much, and we really appreciate you having you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. You have a good day. And for all you people out there, thank you for watching us here at the Austin Action Fest and Market or our podcast, Austin Action Fest and Friends. Go get those tickets. Okay.
even if you if you message me directly, I might even have a discount code for you. Stay up, keep fighting.